working hard or hardly working. <laughs> hey, what's up? I'm JB. And I'm Jordan. Welcome back to Camp Nightmare. That was my impression of uh, every middle-aged um, white dude that has like a phone case on his belt and wearing white New Balances that came into my s*** on Labor Day and made a joke about me having to work on Labor Day. That was my impression of all of those guys. And they always look at their friend, they're like, you hear what I just told that guy? Sure, I just, I just, I just owned him. I burned that guy. Just burned that libtard. <laughs> it really, dude, so many, so, and it really was only middle-aged men were like, oh, I guess Labor Day's not for everybody, huh? <laughs> Man, you want to you want to talk about how you could you could convince a s- employee to commit a heinous crime real quickly? Say that a bunch of times to him. It never gets old. No, but no. hey, that's the neither here nor there. Welcome back to Camp Nightmare. Uh, today we are talking about the amazing time that we had a creature feature. Yeah, and we have an awesome interview for you guys with actor John Amplis, who you guys probably know from the movies Creep Show, where he's uh, our favorite resurrected vengeful father. <laughs> And of course, from Day of the Dead, where he's Doctor Fisher, who's uh, the nice guy, the nice guy scientist, the only the only person that works for the government in that movie that's not a complete <laughs> sociopath. Well, I guess he's a scientist, so he's probably the private sector. Really? Is he? I don't know if he's working for the government. I guess in that movie, everyone's working for the yeah, government, or else you're getting a bullet in your head. That's yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, John is is an amazing guy, and we're going to talk more about it later in the episode. But first, let's get into some what's new. We had so much fun at Creature Feature this past weekend. So much fun we had to take a week off in the episodes, but, uh, you know. Yeah, true story. We're we're happy to be back, and uh, we're really happy. I've met so many of you guys while we were out there, and um, a lot of new listeners, I think, too. Yeah, the most surreal shit is when someone that's a perfect stranger comes up to you and goes, oh, I can finally put a face to the to the voices. <laughs> it's amazing how much of an advantage you guys have over us in it that really in that scenario. But we really did <laughs> all have, the power is yours. We really did have a lot of fun meeting you guys. Eric, it was awesome. Eric and Garrett, Julie and Greg calls him Cletus because apparently that's his like haunted trail character. Like Cletus, my name's Cletus. Amazing. Yeah, all the guys from the haunted trail, Kim's crypt haunt. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the highlight of it for me, we smoked weed. With Leatherface from the 2003 Texas Chainsaw. Well, we smoked with him after our initial Q&A, and then we ended up smoking him with him again the next day. Yeah. Because we were hanging out with somebody entirely different, and then Andrew just stumbles out of the, the building, like, blinking into the sun, like, oh, oh, where, where am I? And we just, like, handed him the joint, and he's like, oh, thank God. And so like, we're, we're talking about Andrew Brynjarski, who played, who was one of the three Leatherfaces represented there this 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 year, who's of course a gentleman and a scholar, oh, he and a professional is. actor. He's also just has me maybe a little bit of a bad man. That's okay. One of my favorite moments is the first <laughs> night we were there. We went to go meet the Leatherface actors because we had to do the panel the next day on Saturday. So we were like, hey, we should just you know go get some FaceTime, yeah, say hello, yeah, hang out with them a little bit before, get to know them. So Ari Mahailoff and Bob Elmore were both very professional demure guys. They're oh hey good you know like Ari basically was like also he- both gentlemen and scholars and enormous. And terrifying. R.A. told us to keep it short and sweet. That's all he asked, is that you keep the panel short and sweet, because I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> Which was a sentence that he was going to repeat a bunch of times that weekend. Yes. Get out of my way, I'm a senior citizen. As he plows his way through a crowd of 40 people, single-handedly. A la Will Ferrell in old school, when he gets <laughs> all high on the week, gets shot in the neck with a dart. dart I'm a senior citizen! Yeah. Bob Elmore was probably the most professional out of all three of them. Well, he's also like, it. I feel like in the dynamic of Leatherface's, 
that we we met over the weekend. He's obviously the the senior Leatherface. Mm-hmm. He was Leatherface from Part Two, mm-hmm. so he's like the 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 father. Like, and obviously Leatherface knows the importance of family and hierarchy. Yeah, and I feel like we saw that demonstrated as well. Like, if, if there was a shot called and Bob Elmore said it went, they all sort of went with it. Yeah, and uh, you can tell that he definitely had the most experience at cons. Out of yeah. the three of them. Um, and then R.A. was great. R.A. is, like we said, is just a senior citizen. Andrew, however. <laughs> he's not a senior citizen. He's a bit of a wild card. Uh, <laughs> when when we introduced ourselves to him, we had to introduce ourselves like three or four times and remind him that we had introduced ourselves. As he was talking to us, he just casually whipped a bag of weed out of his pocket, like ripped it open with his mouth, dumped some weed out, and just started rolling a joint at the table in the middle of the celebrity room. And, like, I looked at Jordan like, do we just roll with this? Like, That's what we did. And Jordan looked back at me like, you shut your mouth. Of course we roll with this. Um, But, dude, and so it was so funny when the Q&A actually happened the next day. You know, we're we're up there. We're ready to go. We're on this, like, seven-foot-tall stage. If any of you guys watched our Instagram Live video, which is still up on our page, you can watch this happen. We're up there. We're ready to go. RA's there. Bob's there. JB and I are on the stage. And just, there's no Andrew. He's well, just like, nowhere to Bob be seen. Bob was the one that was like, fuck it, just start. <laughs> Bob was the one that was like, he'll be here when he's here, man. <laughs> so, so we start. Just roll with it, man. And uh, of course, like three minutes into it, you just hear this <clears throat> coming down the aisle. And it's just Andrew like lumbering his way, <laughs> shambles his way down. Nobody uses the easy way to get on the stage for some reason. No, I don't understand that at all. Like, we specifically told the guy outside, I was like, hey, when they get here, lead them down this back hallway because it's a ramp and they don't, and like these, you know, (laughs) 60 some odd year old men don't have to try and climb these stairs. So Andrew shambles his way up onto the stage, walks behind JB and I, which there's not a lot of space and there's these lights that are pointed up to create ambiance. And again, he's a huge human being he just knocks into one of these lights and almost knocks it over and he's just down again and just he's a force dude you don't stop the guy he's got a million stories oh, no, yeah. he's there to tell him well he's got like no he's got like three stories they just last a but long time. one of those stories in his mind applies to any question you could ask him <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you ask him he's just going to tell you one of these three stories the best one that he told they actually have two the best one he told at the panel was the one when he was when he was filming Texas Chainsaw with Jessica Biel, and he was supposed to be chasing her through a field. And the <laughs> way he tells the story is like, I love he was like, I was being real arrogant, and I was like, I'm going to give this little girl a head start. It turns out she is super physically fit and <laughs> runs every day, and I'm the opposite of that. Carrying a 50-pound chainsaw. Exactly. And it's just, it's the way he tells it is just, it's like you could tell it was a very humbling experience for him. <laughs> so the first night that we met him, I don't remember what the person that was also there next to us at the table asked him, but... He responded with a story about smoking weed on the set of the movie Stiletto, which is a terrible film that Tom Sizemore happens to be in. And I guess Tom Sizemore had just gotten out of rehab, so Tom Sizemore had a huge problem with Andrew smoking this weed on the set. And somehow, and this is the part where I got lost, somehow him taking bong hits on the set of Stiletto ended with Tom Sizemore getting pulled over with pounds of meth in his trunk. I And what I gathered from the story is that Sizemore was really just waiting for almost any excuse to just go, like, ham on a pile of meth. He had that meth in his trunk before he, he took to those bongs. That's what Either it seemed way. like to me, yeah. Like, I'm these, not are, sh- these are the long-winded stories yeah. that we got to. We just told you the hyper-short version. Imagine hearing that story for about 10 minutes. Yeah. 
the last thing I want to say about Andrew is after the panel, like when we were at the panel, he coughed really hard. Like the first thing Into he sits mic. down in the chair, the first thing he does is like, <laughs> and he looks at the audience. He's like, I don't have COVID. I was I was smoking a blunt, and I'm not used to the papers. I'm or I'm not used to blunts, man. I'm used to smoking like raw papers. <laughs> and so I felt bad for him, and I had a joint in my pocket, so I handed it to him on the way out of the panel, and I. I lost sight of him for like 30 seconds and then I walk out the front door of the theater and he had maybe taken a six inch step out the front door of the theater before he lit this joint. And I walk out the door and Andrew's like, I'm smoking the moderator's marijuana, like loudly. And I was like, hey, wow, man, hey, he's man. very low key, this guy. Yeah, I was like, hey, man, some of us are from out of state. Maybe you shouldn't shout that. So for the rest of the weekend, anytime this dude saw me anywhere in this in this Con, he would just shout, Weed Man! See, this is why you don't give people things. All this said, it was a great experience to, it have, was an amazing to experience. have with Andrew, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Oh, never. And and we were able to link up with those guys again after the Q&A, and they're all still, like, super sweet guys. We loved Andrew. We loved hanging out with Andrew. Everybody had a great time at the panel, you know? And I think, uh, hopefully we get to do that, that shit again. You know, Craig, if you're listening... Thank you again for having us there. That was too much fun. And that's, that's really like the highlight of our year, getting to hang out with three leather faces at the same time. The next day, I got to talk to Carolyn Williams for five or ten minutes, and she was also a sweetheart. Hell yeah. Stretch from Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah, hell yeah. And three. She's briefly in three. She's briefly in three, yeah. Well, and I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't give a special shout out to Bree, because like Bree handled shit. Yes. This, this 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 past weekend, she really like if she had not been there, it would have been dude. The first day we we're there, we we're trying to log into our uh, our social media accounts, and neither Jordan or I could remember the password for like any of them. Yeah, and we I'm realized not kidding when I tell you we're just idiots. We're, and we realized in that moment we, we were like, we really need a wow, we really need a dumb. handler. We're like really wow, dumb. but Bree somehow managed to get into all of our social media and. Ama- she's just and an amazing she woman. ran that table like a pro. Yes, she did. Handed out coloring sheets, handed out candy. It was amazing. We yeah. had a fantastic weekend. We owe so and much to her. And she gave us plaques, man. Yes. I joked in the 100th episode that <laughs> we were told that there would be plaques. And we show up at Creature Feature Weekend and there were plaques. Yeah. yeah. Not to mention the <laughs> fact plaques. that she bought, a bunch Physical of, ones. she bought a bunch of disposable cameras. Yeah. Because uh, apparently- I can't wait to see those photos. Apparently that's what you Gen Zers are. Dude, do you remember when we dropped the camera at my party? And it went off. Somebody dropped the disposable camera, and it like went off and took a picture when it dropped. That's the picture I'm the most excited for. <laughs> so if you guys are first-time listeners and we met you at Creature Feature, then uh, definitely hi. follow us on social media or whatever. Reach out to us and say hi again. Um, so on to some actual horror news. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Texas Chainsaw. The yeah, new since Fede, we're already on the subject. Uh, the new Fede Alvarez-produced Texas Chainsaw has struck a deal with Netflix for exclusive release. All right. So, you know, part of me is excited about that because that means, like, we're probably going to get it sooner and I don't have to pay extra money to see it. But a big part of me is kind of bummed I'm going to miss out on seeing a new Texas Chainsaw movie on the big screen. Fair enough. Uh, So it's apparently going to be an all of the other sequels don't matter kind of sequel. It's going to be a direct sequel to the original 74 film, which, if I remember correctly, Texas Chainsaw 3D was also yeah like a only connected to that movie kind of movie. The Texas Chainsaw timeline's a tough one to follow. It's real weird. So... In a weird way, this is like the easiest way at this point. Listen, yeah. Listen, guys, I, I, we don't know what's happening in the rest of the sequels. We're just picking up after the first movie. Uh, it's clean. I get yeah, it. And I mean, it's Fetty Alvarez, so like, right? I believe in it. Like, I, like I, I like. Yeah, everything he's done, I've enjoyed. He's proven so, himself to uh, me. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. 
So it looks like we can just look forward to later this year getting to see that movie on Netflix. Hell yeah. Uh, in 2022, coming to Netflix. Ooh, I'm excited about this. Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Uh, yes. It's an anthology series in the spirit of like Tales from the Crypt, Master, Masters of Horror, and it'll feature episodes from genre directors like Panos Cosmatos, who did Mandy. He also did uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah. Jennifer Kent is going to be doing an episode yep. who directed The Duke. He's got a whole list of other directors. There's some of the stars I'm really excited about who he's got. So he's got like Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead, Peter Weller, fucking, fucking Robocop. Robocop. Robo Crispin Glover. The, obviously, I love Crispin Glover. Marty McFly's dad. Oh, yeah, George we love McFly. Crispin Glover here. And F. Murray Abraham. They've got a whole bunch of great, great actors lined up to be on the show i mean it's del toro producing he's already released i think a book of like poems and photos of his like eccentric collectibles that he has just what... he's called his cabinet of curiosity so i'm really excited that they're allowing him to sort of expand to do his own one of my you know, twilight zoney kind of kind of thing one of my favorite stories i've ever heard about guillermo del toro is a story that vincent pro tells on our on our interview with him where he tells a story about being discovered by guillermo del toro that Guillermo del Toro was just like at Comic-Con wearing a lucha mask, but like with a polo tucked into some shorts. And he's a big dude. And I guess he just like was walking around table to table and he gets Vincent's table and starts buying his merch. And he's like, you should come work for me. I'm Guillermo del Toro. And like pulled his mask up and he's like, peekaboo. <laughs> like, Which I just have to assume that del Toro moonlights everywhere dressed like this. Like he goes and orders food and he's like, I will take this food for free. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he lifts up his mask. And he goes, I'm Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> peekaboo. Grabs the food, runs out. And what are you going to do? Stop the man? I, I don't feel think like, so. I feel like Har Javier Bardem probably does the same thing. Yeah, but without the mask. Yeah, yeah. He just he just dresses up like the psycho from No Country for Old Men. He just cuts a bowl, gives himself a bowl cut, and uh, everyone's going to do whatever he says. I will take this McDouble for free. So that's what we have for What's New This Week. Yep. And now, since we're talking to John Amplis, who, uh, as we'll learn, has been in the second most George Romero movies of any actor. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a George Romero-themed demon pile of streaming picks. So up first on Tubi TV, Day of the Dead from 1985. This is oh, yeah. an absolute must-see. You know we're not big into telling you what to do, but like honestly, if you haven't seen Day of the Dead, what are you even doing here? You gotta see it. What you do you, you made a wrong turn and ended up the wrong place at this podcast. If you Some of the seen best the gore by Tom Savini. It obviously really, features our boy John Amplis as Dr. Fisher. You've said this before, and I'm starting to agree with you. This might be like absolute peak Savini. It's fantastic. Like, when things like culminate in all of the madness of the third act of this movie yeah, yeah it's fucking intense so on shutter this week the amusement park now this isn't even really supposed to be a horror film this was like a <laughs> psa film about taking care of old people but it's what happens when you hire a horror director like yep. george romero to make your psa yep and they're, they're it's being billed now as the lost film of george romero and you can catch it uh on shutter then on hbo max Monkey Shines from 1988. I feel like it often overlooked George Romero film too, which I think a man who makes that many movies, they, a lot of them just do get a kind of overlooked. Yeah, I know I've seen Monkey Shines, but like not in probably not in 30 years. Yeah, it was definitely one of the more. Obscure I ones. remember the cover of it. I remember that cover, and I remember being terrified of that cover. So you can catch that on HBO Max, and then on Voodoo. Oh, uh, we're going Night Riders. Yeah, because you know, weirdly. It's tough to find Romero movies streaming on a lot of these platforms. Huh. Like Netflix has like none. That doesn't shock me. Amazon Prime didn't really have any. Uh, it was yeah, it did was none slim of them, pickings. Did none of them have Night of the Living Dead? 
Yeah, but it was the, some of the same ones I've already like. Oh, I think fair. Tubi had a couple different ones. Shutter had a few options. HBO Max had a couple, but like the rest of them, bone dry. Fair. When you're when looking for Romero, so I had to go, uh, you know, pull some shit off the second line. So we're pulling Voodoo this week, where you can catch Night Riders from 1981. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Who, which also features John Amplis. It does. Uh, th- this is the weird medieval one, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I watched I watched clips of this on YouTube, and it's just even for Mero, man. This yeah. one's this is a weird one. It's a weird one. It's not also to be confused with Knight Rider, with uh, David Hasselhoff. Not that day. Not that Knight Rider, dude. The fucking theme song from Knight Rider. You want to talk about synthwave? Like real good old school synthwave. The theme from Knight Rider, dude. Just saying. Good call. And then the trailer for the week this week, following up on that George Romero theme, Martin, yeah. 1978. Yet another really weird Romero film. A very early film, and it's the star of this film who plays Martin is the one and only John Amplis, who we're about to have on the show. And I wish this movie was streaming somewhere so I could have put it on the streaming yeah. picks, but it's also a tough one to it's find. It's on YouTube for free. You, you can go. watch the whole thing on YouTube. I did look this up. Okay, great. So there yeah. you go. We'll, actually, you know what? Fuck that. It's now our full-ass film of the week. <laughs> yep. Martin. Martin, still, from 1978, uh, it was, starring the one and only John Lamplow. It was originally, it was released internationally as Wampere. Yes. Uh, it's in, like we said, it's an early, often overlooked Romero film. So let's talk a little bit about John Amplis to begin with before we get into the interview with John Amplis. Yeah. We obviously were drawn towards him because we saw the creep show shit, and we were like, holy shit, that's the, that's the dad's body from Creepshow. I Creep gotta show. talk to, yeah, resurrected dad from Creepshow. And he ended up being one of the nicest, like, sweetest, kindest people we have ever met. Yeah. And, like, he's really authentic, really, like, down to earth. Really happy to talk. Really, yeah. And really engaging, and too. Not, so it and, was, like, two seconds into talking to this guy about Creep Show and then Day of the Dead, I knew I wanted to interview this guy yeah, for the show. And, yeah. And, and he was just a, he was really a delight to talk to. Yeah. And, like, not, like, it didn't seem, like, desperate or, like, you know, past his prime at all. You know what I mean? Oh, no. Like, like it seemed like he was still really, he really enjoyed being even like a subtle icon in the genre community. And and I think as you kind of will get the vibe in his interview, he knew the magic that of the, the the company he was in, you know, with George Romero, and he was sure. happy to be just sort of part of the crew, part of the people helping to make it happen. And I and I love that this is a, a convention that took place in Pennsylvania. Because we get a lot of the Romero people there, you know, we had that at the, yeah. the same convention we had the girl, the actress who was the little girl who kills her mother in Night of Living Dead. Oh, and right next to him was Vernon Wells, who right. who who yelled at me the first night we were there. Told Jimmy, get out of my way. I helped the little guy. Get out my way. I helped, I helped the little boy from the from Poltergeist carry his shit. The guy that played <laughs> the little the little boy in Poltergeist. I helped him carry his bags because he like he came screaming around the corner. Next, like in front of our booth, like looking like he was in a lot of pain. Like he just looked like he had no idea where he was. Like he was about to give up. So I was like, "Hey, man, can I help you?" And he was like, "If you're offering." So I helped him bring his stuff into the celebrity room, and I guess I put it his stuff too close to Vernon Wells's table, and Vernon Wells was like, "Oi!" and just like slammed his hand down on the table. Yeah, and like to- like told this guy to back up and give him his space. And I I would really love to assume that this is because of some really long running feud between Vernon Wells and the kid from Poltergeist. Oh, I want it to be so bad. He knows what he did. Between that and I kept randomly running into Ted Raimi. <laughs> yeah. 
all weekend to the point where I think Ted Ramey thinks I was stalking him. I uh, think he was stalking you, but Ted, if you're listening, I'm so sorry, man. I was not stalking you. We just, we just, we both had to smoke at the same time a lot, man. I'm sorry. He is listening, but he's listening from a van out parked outside yep. with headphones. John Amplis has been in six films by George Romero. <laughs> six films. Six. He's been in six films. He was in movies six times. Six times. In order of those movies was Martin, then Dawn of the Dead, then Day of the Dead, then Night Riders, then Creep Show, and then The Dark Half. He played he played the off-screen doppelganger of yes. Timothy Hutton. Played the off-screen doppelganger. So I feel like at best in the movie you might see his shoulder. Yeah. But he's really just uh, the when he's his acting partner. So when Timothy Hutton has to act with himself, when he's theoretically talking to his twin, he needs somebody to act against. So John Amplis was that guy for him. Yep. Which is actually, which is pretty awesome, and uh, that's like the pretty seems like a fun kind of role to play because it's yeah. like it's a, there's no pressure on you from that kind of perspective, but you're gonna just like well, pretend I imagine, to be this like, guy. A lot of the roles that he got with Romero were kind of that role, right? Because a lot of them seemed like they were pretty un, like undefined, and he had a lot of room to sort of make them into what he wanted. Like yeah, for but, sure. Like, definitely Doctor Fisher. In Day of the Dead, which is mm -hmm. probably his most iconic role, like the one you recognize him the most from, or as the body of the father in the <laughs> right. Father's Day. Simply because even though Martin was his biggest role being the lead, you know, I think it's also just not one of the more popular or more well-known George Romero films. But hopefully after this episode, that will change. Yeah. Well, I guess let's get into the interview. Hell yeah, let's stop wasting time and let's welcome to the show actor John Amplis. <laughs> So we're here at Creature Feature Weekend. We're here with John Amplis, actor who's been in more George Romero movies than I than anyone, maybe. Almost, almost. Christine Forrest Romero actually did eight. I did six. You were beaten by two. Can you list them for us? Where'd you start? I started with Martin. Okay. With George. And you were Martin He's, in that, yeah? I was Martin, yeah. I was the guy, man. Okay. It was. Uh, it turned out to be George's favorite movie. Oh. And mine, too, for obvious reasons. <laughs> sure. And uh, he saw me in a play I was doing at, uh, at the Pittsburgh Playhouse and um, talked to me afterwards and said, you know, I'm writing a script. Uh, but I had an older character in mind until I saw your work. Sure. And he went away, rewrote the script, and a couple of months later I got a call from him and he cast me. It was that simple. I'm going to pause real quick and kind of hit on something you just said, because we talked a little bit yesterday about this, and one of the things we talked about was theater actors oh, yeah. moving to film. And I wonder, yeah. and I was thinking about this last night afterwards, and I, and I kind of hit on the idea that I wonder if some of these lower-budget filmmakers back in the day specifically sought out theater guys because they knew it was less time that they'd have to do takes. Well, maybe. I, I, I mean, I don't know what the reasons are always for why somebody casts somebody else, sure. but I, I can tell you this. I think theater provides actors with discipline. It's really boot camp, and um, I always say, people ask me, is there a difference, what's the difference between film acting and theater acting? And I said, none. Sure. Sure. <laughs> well, from a filmmaker like George Romero, who's, uh, his game is making low-budget, high-return movies, right? Yeah. Less takes equals less money, right? So if you're going with experienced actors who don't need a thousand takes, right. and like you say, you're a Pittsburgh guy, and George Romero loved to yeah. work local, right? Yeah. So he was all about empowering like the local scene and, uh, I think, saving money, making oh, a good he movie. Ab he absolutely was, yeah. I mean, I felt really fortunate. 
um, to you know have an opportunity to star in a film, my first feature out of the gate, you know, because uh, I was just a young guy, you know, looking to be an actor. But so it was really George who gave you like your first shot on film in in feature film, yeah, for sure. That's amazing. I was 27. I mean, I was a little older than most uh, most college kids at that time. I was a senior in college because I was in the army for three years before I went to school. I feel like that's another sort of weird Romeroism is that he seemed to gravitate towards people who had military experience a lot, right? <laughs> like he was. I mean, Savini was a yeah, you know Savini a military photographer. photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Savini was. Uh, I'm sure there were several others. You yeah. Know, that, well, talk to me. I, I'm, I hate to move it along so fast, but talk, right. talk to me a little bit about Dawn and Day of the Dead. Because well, really, Dawn, I mean, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I got involved in Dawn because I just wanted to hang around. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, I just wanted to be part of the group, you know, part of the gang. Uh, and so I was allowed to do some casting. I I was l fortunate enough to uh, bring him David Emge, who played Flyboy, and and of course we did a lot of zombies, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. which was not hard to find. No, they yeah, of course. Were, they would come to the mall and volunteer. You it know? feels like there's not a there's not a huge uh, there's not a huge criteria list for zombie actors. No, like, no, can not you in, lumber? Not in Dawn, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Exactly. What I find impressive is uh, you actually may be the only person who appears twice in the of the Dead series, but not as a zombie. You play two different human beings yeah. in these films. <laughs> yes, if you want to call them that, sure. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, right. I did. Yeah. Uh, the first one I had. <laughs> the first one in Dawn was a mistake. I mean, it was um, they needed somebody on the roof, and so they just Savini grabbed me and put me in this bad makeup, and up on the roof I went, you know, as one of these gang members. I had to apologize this morning for it because the uh, character <laughs> that I'm playing is a little un-PC, you sure, know, in sure. terms of the makeup. <laughs> Good on you for that. Right? Good on you for that. In 2021, it makes my heart happy to hear an actor say that. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Um, well, so... I, this is a question that I had last that I thought about last night as well. In Dawn, you're an antagonistic character. Yeah. Do you prefer that, or do you prefer like playing more of a protagonist? Or a I hero? have I have no I have no preference one way or the other. You know, um, I'm I always hope to work with a good script. You know, so whether it be a movie or a play, um, it's really about you know it's about the writer. To be honest, sure, sure, and you know, I had a great one in George. Of course, he did. Yes, and so uh, uh, I was very fortunate. You know, I just consider myself lucky. And you got to play those two different sides. Like right in, in Day, you were you know on the rooftop trying to kill people, but or in Dawn, you were. Yeah. But in Day, you know, you're you're Fisher, the scientist who. Yeah. who I, when I was talking to you yesterday, I was saying he's one of one of the very few characters in the of the Dead movies that is sort of zero percent asshole. <laughs> right, like, because I feel like you have to be a percentage of asshole to survive that long. Right, but right. like Fisher is the scientist who's still holding on to like, you know, we can find a cure. We yeah. don't have to kill each other. You know, we don't have to go down to the basement and feed each other to zombies if we don't yeah. have to. Yes, yeah, so right. He was, tries to be the voice of reason. Sure. 
you yeah, know, which is, where which there is, is sort no of a reason. funny statement in that setting. Like, okay, so there's a voice of reason here. Like, <laughs> like, all right. Well, the truth of the matter for me, I think that Rhodes was probably right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> get the hell. Let's get the hell out of here. And stop messing around, you know. In a post-apocalyptic scenario, like, the military is the only thing you have left that has any semblance of order. So, yes, like, exactly. Rhodes was kind of right. Yeah. But I, take I, away I the leadership, and you have them running rampant on their own, and you get the scenarios we get in this film. Yeah, yeah right. true. So right. th- let's talk about the experiences on that film, playing a character like Fisher and playing across from, like, I mean, I consider the villain of Day of the Dead to be an iconic villain. He, he's You love to hate him, right? Yeah. yeah right. So uh, just a little bit about working on that film. Oh, Joe was, and Joe was great in it. Joe was yeah. absolutely great. It was such a good choice uh, of characters for him, you know. Yeah, he was terrific. And it was a it was a horrific death. It was, <laughs> it was so and, satisfying. And one of Savini's like everything that this dude is is just being ripped apart, both Eat physically it. and metaphorically. <laughs> yes. Choke on it. And he's like, Choke on yeah, oh, it's so good. And that kill is man. Like I said earlier to you, that I just think Tom Savini was on top of his game. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. So uh, what what was it being around like Tom Savini's working at that level? Well, Tom. I met I met Tom in Martin because he's in Martin as well, he, and um, so that's where that's where we met. And um, he actually went down and took George his portfolio to audition for Martin, and George had already cast me. And so Tom missed out. <laughs> well, he's also—he was a theater actor as well, right? Yes, like Tom he was. was another one with from, a background yeah, in theater. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think yeah. that's where he started doing makeup. Was that he was an actor, but also got really into yeah makeup or really yeah. into makeup as well. I think too his experience in Vietnam uh, gave him plenty yeah. of uh, yeah. background information well, and, about. And, and how lucky are we that he had? Makeup as an avenue to sort of deal with some of the trauma of Vietnam, right? Right, right. Like, right. and that's a lot of what you see in his, especially in his earlier work. You yeah, see somebody yeah. who really understood what gore and carnage looked like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was really at the top of his game, and you know, Rick Baker, I think, was one his idol. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and um, so, and it was at a time when makeup was handmade. Yep. You know. Yeah. Yep. There was no animation. There was no, yeah. you know, none of that's, that. That's real movie magic to me yeah, still. You know, exactly. like it's tricks of the camera, like yeah. in-camera tricks. And it was also Greg Nicotero's. Uh, Day was Greg Nicotero's first outing. Oh, yeah. And he was a disciple, you know, of Tom. If you look at who Nicotero is now, yeah. that's how you get there, is just yeah, by exactly. eating eating and breathing everything makeup from those guys. He was a kid in Dawn of the yeah. um, Day of yeah, the oh, Day. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all those stories about him being on the set of Creep Show and just not even having a job, just hanging sort of around. hanging around as like a yeah, 15-year-old. A- absolutely. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up Father's Day. Yeah. One of our favorite segments from Creep Show ever. So I actually, uh, on the back of my car, I have a Creep Show sticker. Oh, cool. And I can't tell you how many times at stoplights, somebody like motions for me to roll the window down. I roll it down, and they start screaming your lines. They start oh, yeah. screaming, Bedelia, where's my cake, Bedelia? <laughs> <laughs> it's just this unspoken True. connection like between Creep Show fans. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, there was another actor that actually played him, John Lormore. Who was not too well, as I understand it, during the filming. Was he the old man before he died? Yeah, he was the, yeah. Banging his cane, demanding his cake. Exactly. And if you notice in the movie, he's he's 
on screen only by himself. He's never with another. Oh, yeah. He's never with another actor because he he was unwell. Oh and wow! So they were shooting him all by himself, and then inserting him into the yeah. It is all flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. And he sort of he uh, he passed away not too long after Creepshow came out. Oh wow! Which was a real shame. He, I never got to meet him, so I think they even shot him somewhere else. Interesting. Yeah. So and so we obviously you're the father's the father once he comes back and it, talk talk about the makeup a little bit like what is that a full body costume mixed with prosthetics? Because you're going to be in that look later today, am I right? Yeah, I mean, almost. He was, uh, Tom, again, did the makeup, obviously, for, for, for it. I sat, under, I sat under plaster for about a week of, you know, hands, head, chest. And then uh, I went away for a month. <laughs> and uh, then uh, Tom, during that time, worked his magic. And created this suit uh, and and headpiece and and so when I came back to shoot it was all set it was all ready to go and they just but put you in the suit and put you in the ground that was it that's how it worked yeah. and then you just crawl out and I'm guessing you probably didn't even deliver those lines right yeah, no I didn't um, I think I got to say one when he's walking away at the very end I think I said the last something. I want my cake or some damn thing. Well, when you're holding the, the severed head cake? Uh, before that. Before that. Uh, yeah, what, at, right after I think I kill Ed Harris. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, we have to note his amazing dancing in that film. Oh. Right? <laughs> well, no. I think what makes this dancing amazing is it is so uncharacteristic of anything Ed Harris has done since then. Like, he did that one role where he's Very silly, and then so, everything yeah. after that is just like this hard-as-nails, uh, yeah. badass guy. Very much so. Yeah. I was lucky to work with Ed, too, in Night Riders. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which was his only only his second feature. Yeah. So, um, really is a sweetheart. And I did, I played Timothy Hutton's twin um, double in the dark hat. Oh, okay. And uh, I mean, I'm never on screen, sure. but I was his act, acting partner the, when he had to talk to himself. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> That's Which, of course, uh, yeah. that has to be, yeah, you have to figure out some way to act across Amy from Madigan was in, and she's a doll baby. Yes. Oh, absolute doll well, and baby. What a fantastic and underrated actor she is, too. Oh, I think so. Uh, she has so. real chops. She really and, uh, does. Yeah. Well, dude, I love, I didn't know that about you in Dark Half. I love that you have Savini DNA. You have Stephen <laughs> King DNA. Like, that's yeah. our wheelhouse. Yeah. I, hear I mean, you. and you've got Creepshow DNA, which is the ultimate blend of Romero and Stephen yeah, King. Yeah, there you right? go. You know? Right. And right, so, right. And Steve was supposed to have been hanging around set. Was he hanging around when you guys he were was, shooting at all? Yeah, he yeah. was. A really cool guy. Really oh, nice yeah. guy. And also in Night Riders. Yeah. Oh, Because okay. he was a vendor or something in Night Riders. Yeah. Oh, you can find, that. if you look at Night Riders, you will see a ton of actors that have been in other George, of George's films. Yeah. We at that time in the late 70s and 80s, we were like a repertory company. You know, the same people coming back, playing different roles, and and we were all happy to do it. I mean, Night Riders for me was like summer camp. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, 10 weeks of play um, and yes. getting paid for. <laughs> and, and well, but I that's love that. Because I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and I love that you brought up that Romero likes to reuse the same people because I this is something I've said on the show numerous times. I love directors who do that because it really yeah. speaks to how they build a bond with their crew and their cast. Uh, his crew uh, are amazing, was amazing. I mean, Mike Gornick was with him since Martin. He started doing yeah. cinematography. Right. In fact, George was set up to uh, both direct and shoot Martin. And uh, our first day uh, of work, um, he had the camera set up and ready to go. We were walking along. I was walking along the train tracks. And uh, he turned to Mike and said, do you want to shoot this? And yeah. Mike said, yeah. <laughs> and so Mike was the cinematographer from that point on. Sure. You and know? If it works, it works, and right? It was the first time George felt like he was a director. Sure. Mm. You know? Okay, yeah. One of the, the facts I always love to come back to with Romero is that one of his first jobs ever was working for Fred Rogers. And yeah. that was like a yeah. big thing in the Pittsburgh scene yes. because Rogers was like him in the yes. sense that he wanted local people. And it's so wonderful and surreal to connect those two people because seemingly they're at the opposite end of the spectrum, but they really weren't, right? They, yeah. really, they really were sort of the same breed of person. They really were. And I think were. that if you start talking to people that knew Romero, they all tell the same kind of stories about him that people told about Fred Rogers. That yeah. he's, he's a sweetheart at his core and like Doll one of baby. the most loving and just giving directors ever. And I love that Rogers was sort of his low-key mentor in that yeah. regard. That just yeah. be nice to everybody. There's no reason not to. Exactly. Yeah, mentor just without exactly. all the fake blood. Well, Roger, uh, uh, Mr. Rogers' um, floor manager uh, was on George's crew. Yeah. Uh, Bamba, um, Nicky Tallow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, great guy, and and worked on everything after that yeah. with him. You know, well, uh, there's there's interviews you can watch of Romero talking about working for Fred Rogers. Where like Rogers knew what Romero was doing with his career and encouraged him. He was yes, like, "Well, absolutely. I don't like horror, but yeah. you you follow your dreams, George." And it was like, "Oh my God, that's amazing!" <laughs> well, that's the indie film spirit, right? And that's what George Romero, as big as his films were, that's what he was. He was an independent filmmaker at his core. So I mean, when I, that's what I love about it. Really meant independent. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no one told him what to do. Because how many times did the studios say to Romero? Listen, we'll give you a lot of money if you want to make a PG-13 or less money for R. And Romero's just like, give me less money. Just yeah. give me less money. Yeah, yeah. He, he, He's about the he, art. He had a vision of every script he wrote. I think he was strongest when he was writer, director, you know. Yeah. He, and he was a tremendous editor. A real. Oh, yeah. And I think... And I think you could probably attest to this as a writer and a director, Jordan. That like, when you have the when you have the vision from beginning to end, there's something cohesive about that, right? That, well, yeah. They always say like, there's the film you write, there's the film you make, and then there's the film you get, right? And 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 I think you can at least minimize that shift when the vo voice is singular. Yeah. Like if you have someone like Romero who's like wrote it and directed it. You know, it's going to stray less than if you get a writer, sells it to somebody else who directs it, who then brings their vision into it, and then maybe a third person edits it, and maybe the whole thing takes a different tone. But if you have someone like Romero that can take it from concept to completion, then you can keep that, that streamlined well, idea. He, he edited Martin, and it, it, there was an original version that has long since been lost. Somehow, somewhere, oh, yeah. nobody can seem to track it down <laughs> or where it ended up.
Well, they just released like the the quote unquote other lost Romero film, didn't they? Uh, amusement uh, Park. Yeah, but it's that's just, not even a real. That was like a. It's just had a new release. Yeah, and that wasn't even like. A hard no, fictional thriller. Was, that was it like it was actually a PSA. Yeah, it was like a corporate film for why not to lose track of your like for senile ages. old people. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. It's really <laughs> yeah, but even in that, it's really off-putting. Like I watched it and I was yeah, like, yeah, this it is, is upsetting. upsetting. <laughs> it is off-putting <laughs> because it's basically an old yeah. man that is suffering from senility has yeah. like a fever dream, and yeah. that's the plot of the movie. That's kind of terrifying. It kind of yeah. it kind of reminds me. If you get a chance, you should watch this movie because it's beyond bizarre. It's called Escape from Tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So that. it's it's a film they shot entirely in Disneyland without Disneyland's permission yeah. because they shot <laughs> like it. They like shot it on like DSLRs and everybody was mic'd up and nobody knew. And it's a story about a man who brings his family to Disneyland and then goes through like a psychedelic trip oh, about wow. like his position in society and his family. But it's all shot guerrilla style, and it's like oh, the wow. fact that it exists at all is really just like what makes it kind of special in how yeah, they made yeah, it. Yeah. Well, our, our buddy who just walked up to your table brought up your photo op you're doing later. So you're getting into the creep show Father's Day outfit. How long is that going to take? That's what they tell me. I have no I have no idea. <laughs> They're it's, really just uh, uh, dragging it, along. It's huh? people that, uh, uh, young women I think that have uh, graduated from uh, Savini's School, Savini uh, school, a makeup school. Uh, so again, we're keeping that so Savini I, DNA alive. I, I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know? that school's going great guns. Yes, they they do great work. Yeah, and you know what's funny? We I said earlier that you're like the only human who appears twice. The only other human I know of that appears twice in a Romero of the Dead movie is Savini, because yes. he appears again in Land of the Dead theoretically as the zombie of his character from Dawn of the Dead. So it's really just you and Savini who get because Romero is not into crossover characters. Not too much. <laughs> but, I mean, that's sort of one of the brilliant things about what Romero did, right? Is that every decade or so he would reinvent the zombie film based on what was happening socially at the time, that's, and like that's, that's something true. we talked about yesterday about the, the social subtext to everything yeah. that he did that and everything. There was always yeah. a deeper meaning to it, yeah. which. As a horror fan and as somebody who tries to be as progressive as possible, that shit's really important. Like, well, he was just super smart, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm very attuned to yeah. you know what's going on in the world and a heavy duty reader and you yeah. know he's a smart guy. So um, I, yeah, his stuff always was um, yeah. socially. Uh, he understood the social dynamics yep. of the yeah. time. Yes, he definitely. Fearless. When you think about the things he was saying, not even like under the rap saying, the no, things no, that no. the statements he would make with those movies at the time, he was fucking fearless. And yeah. like, I wish there were more young indie filmmakers out there now that were that kind of fearless with their statements. Because like, he took on things like racism and, like we said earlier, the military industrial complex, consumerism, yeah. long before it was popular to do that. Right. I think about right. the first act of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, like how rough is that scene still to watch to this day? When the, when the and it's not even zombies; it's the police yeah. busting into the house and how they treat the human beings. And yeah, how, like right. what's a zombie? What's a human? Do they care? Yeah, yeah, right. Or even the statement made by Dawn of the Dead that about consumerism, right? That yeah, they're, sure. they they gravitate towards the mall because yeah. that's where they felt the safest. Right. And it's like wow, that's. It's a heavy concept to think about, man. It's not even subtle, right? But it's but it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Correct. the place where we spend money is the place where we feel the safest because that's what American society trains us to do. And it's yeah. 
And it just makes me happy to know that like that's what we got to grow up on. And it gives me it inspires me to try and instill that in a younger generation. You yeah. know what I mean? And I do. Yeah. So what was your favorite experience working with George? I mean, there's so many films. Was there when you look back and you really think about what was like the best time working with George um, Romero? You know, I, I honestly I have to say it was Martin. Martin, I, I okay. really do. I I was very fortunate um, to first of all be considered and then to be cast. Um, and uh, it 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 was a it was going to school for me, you know, in terms of learning how to be an actor on film, and what to do and how to get it done without you know BS. <laughs> George never gave gives a whole bunch of direction. He's very good about allowing the actor to find his or her own way through the process. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Having that kind of freedom and latitude, and then him saying that was great, <laughs> you know, was very, you know, uh, supportive for, uh, you know, a 27-year-old kid who, who was doing this for the first time and um, was able to get through it. So it was really a satisfying process for me. Yeah, and that's a very important relationship between like a well, a director and a lead actor first of all, but a, yeah. a, a an actor who's coming to a feature film for their first role, yeah. you really need the director yeah. to guide you through that. Right. Right. So, right. I guess it's lucky for you to have someone as experienced and as wonderful as George Romero to guide you through that first process. Well, look, I mean, you know, Martin was shot close to 45 years ago. Um, it's still talked about. Yeah. It's still in the realm of 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 the world today, yeah. you know, um, and, and all of these films, they continue to be talked about, continue to be shown. Um, there's not that many movies out there that that are able to hold on to that kind of time. Yeah, I think a lot of them just happen to be Romero films. A lot of those earlier Romero films that aren't dawn, that aren't Night or Dawn or Day, right? Things like The Crazies, Season of the Witch, Martin. Like, I feel like every 15 years or so, they get rediscovered by a new generation of yeah, people. Yeah, like, yeah, I know that a um, good friend of mine just saw The Crazies recently for the first right. time and was like, how did I fucking miss this movie? And I was like, I don't know, dude. That movie's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know how you missed it. But, yeah, yeah. But Martin's another one that, like, it's just such a heavy-hitting film for such an under-the-wraps film. So yeah. Right. Definitely. Weird, well, right? John, we appreciate you so much carving out some time to chat with us. It's been so much fun. My absolute pleasure. Do you have a website or anything that we can direct people to? Is there a johnamplis.com or uh, There is. A, uh, yeah, but there's... Okay. <laughs> no worries. It's on the web. You know what it's it is? It's you. a voiceover website. But there is a filmography on it, and there is... Uh, it's uh, www.johnamplis.com official.com cool and as always we'll post links to that in our x-file section on our website send, so people can find it send it to it. my facebook okay. perfect everything goes to facebook it's okay. easier for me sure I, I understand Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. It's, it's streamlined. Friendly. It, for me, anyway. For, for and I allow no political BS There you on go. It. <laughs> then I'll definitely friend you on Facebook then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. We hope you have fun at the getting in the creep show look and doing the photo op later. Oh, guys, it was my pleasure. Thank you.
All right, so that's our interview with John Amplis, our new we, friend. You see what we mean? Like, he's so nice and he's so real. Guy. I loved that. I loved when he, uh, we were talking about um, small indie directors, like, specifically seeking out theater actors because they're used to rehearsing so much before. Oh, totally. Hand, yeah. right? Like, they're not used to doing takes. So, like, they have their shit nailed. So, like, it costs the director less money to use a theater actor, essentially. Especially for someone who, like, like he said in the interview, who George allows the actors to sort of play the characters their own way and like does minimal yeah. direction as far as how they are to do that. Yeah. So theater actors are obviously the best people to do that because I feel if you're if you're coming from a film background, you're coming from more of like, hey, I need the director to tell me I need how a to be. Read. I need a line read. Right, right. So, like, but theater, it's more just like you're doing it until the director tells you it's wrong. Yep. You know, and I feel like that's really more where where George was coming from, like based yeah. on what John was telling us. So I think that's really cool, and he seems like that's what he did basically across the board. It was, and I don't know if we talk about it in the interview or if we talked about it yet, but one of the sweetest things that happened is that John had somebody gave John a task cam personal recorder or whatever. Oh yeah. And he was just like the proverbial old man. He was just like, I have I have no idea how to make this work or how to use this. And like got Jordan to come over the next day, come over to his booth and be like, Can you teach me how to use technology, young man? It was great. It was it was so nice. Yeah, we sat together for like probably a half hour and I showed him how to use this little recorder. Yeah. And hopefully hopefully he's out there right now utilizing it because he was uh he's trying to do some podcasting i think of his own and he's yeah. trying to record some stuff remotely with a friend so hopefully john's able to do that so he uh does plug his website go over there maybe that's going to get posted yeah or find him on Facebook, i really wanted to said. do like a crazy adventure traveling podcast and be like from papua new guinea <laughs> this is john amplis yeah signing off from the top of mount everest exactly <laughs> from the edge of your mother's bed ha 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 John would be that kind of guy because John's legendary in that way. He's a legendary motherfucker. That's all I'm saying. Uh, cool. Well, so I guess that basically does it for this week. Yeah. Um, as always, you know, uh, when you're done listening, jump over to campnightmare.com. You can go to the X-Files section and check out all of the supplementary shit yeah. that we talked about that we put on there, like trailer of the week and shit like that. If you're one of our new friends that we just met at Creature Feature we Weekend, make sure you follow us on social media and you can yeah. reach out and talk to us personally on there. And uh, that's where we can connect. And if you guys want more from the show and you want some secret episodes, you can sign up for our digital campground over at patreon.com slash camp nightmare. Also, starting next month, the month of October, coming, coming at you full steam is going to be a brand new monthly newsletter. Oh yeah, uh, from us, which is going to feature uh, it's going to feature just some like more in depth talking from me, essentially. Yeah, you'll get updates about the show, uh, previews of future episodes to come, and other cool stuff like that. So the first one should be coming at you guys if you're on our mailing list. Yeah, like, in October, right? And then, no, the very first one is a wrap up from Creature Feature. It okay. should be out this week or next week. Um, if you're not on our mailing list, you can do so by going to campnightmare.com and just put your email in, and it goes boom straight to our Mailchimp. Yeah. There should be a sign-up form up for you right there. Yeah, but as Jordan said, also, go on, head over to patreon.com slash campnightmare. All sorts of crazy shit you can get there. Like discounts on merch. You can get a, sto a story about your untimely demise written in red. Yeah, we do some random giveaways that are sometimes Patreon-exclusive. There's all kinds of fun stuff and of course, there. And, of course, it's the only way to access our secret episodes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, do that. <laughs> I guess for this week, I'm JB. And I'm Jordan. With Camp Nightmare out.
Thanks for listening to Camp Nightmare. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Slasher. And for full Campfire Tales, interviews, X-Files, and more, visit CampNightmare.com. And join our Patreon community of happy campers for monthly secret episodes, exclusive merch deals, B-movie watch-alongs, access to our Discord channel, and more. Visit Patreon.com slash Camp Nightmare.